Peace of Christ be with you. We have a hole right here, I've noticed. Yeah, that's all right, yeah. Some, some of us like room. Uh, there you go. I tell you what, who knew crossing the aisle could be so easy? If, if we could just learn that <laughs> in a wider sphere. Oh, it's good to laugh. As we gather, I invite you to just take a deep breath. Allow yourself to be present to this moment and your awareness to open up to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit with us right here and right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. God calls us into this space to sit in reverence, to find safe haven to cry to experience a word of truth. God calls us into this space to examine our lives and our life together that we might be filled with the spirit of love.
Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. What a joy to be together today. It is certainly good to be here with you all. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. We have coffee and tea and some snacks set up outside in our garden area. And I do invite you after worship to head out there. And while you're partaking in all of the treats, maybe find someone you don't know. Maybe find someone you don't know very well and introduce yourself. Uh, get to know someone new today. I also um, encourage you to use this QR code on the bulletin to connect with Rob and me. If you're new, it's a great way for us to uh, get some of your contact information and be in touch with you. Um, if you're not new, it's a great way to let us know if you have prayer concerns or anything else you want us to know. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, you have filled our lives with blessing and occasions for gratitude. We offer our thanks and praise for the goodness we experience. We are mindful of the places in our lives haunted by trouble or hurt as well. We are aware of the empty spaces that persist and the destructive things that can enter and fill the void. We pause to reflect how we may have brought unhelpfulness into the lives of others. Help us to clear out the places in our lives and our shared life cluttered with agendas and priorities that do not build up. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and the priorities we see so fully in Jesus Christ. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, may we all rest in the knowledge that God holds us in the palm of God's hand, forgiving us, strengthening us for life's journey, loving us unconditionally and abundantly just as we are. Thanks be to God. Amen. So now as we continue in our time of prayer, this is the time that we share with each other our joys and our concerns. Um, and Rob and I certainly have felt held by your prayers this week. Uh, last Sunday, I shared that my father-in-law had been hospitalized with COVID, and thankfully he's doing much better. So I share a prayer of joy um, this, today that he's home and doing better and just so thankful for so many of you who reached out and asked, asked how he was doing. And then Rob's wife, Sherry, has been struggling the last few days with severe kidney stones. Um, and we'll have a procedure on Wednesday that will hopefully take care of those, but simply ask that you continue to hold her and Rob in prayer as, as she awaits the procedure Wednesday. And again, so many of you reaching out to Rob, asking after Sherry, just really is pretty amazing um, how, how well we care for one another and just give thanks for that. I'll also add, while we're talking about our staff joys and concerns, our music director, Ruth E., was supposed to be here this morning, but is ill this morning, so simply pray for her that she may heal quickly. Um, what else? What is on your heart and mind today as we share? Yeah, Joe.
that's a lot, yeah. So uh, Joe uh, offers prayer for her son who has COVID, prayers for his wife who is now back to work and they're uh, managing two children and illness, so a lot going on, yeah. Others? Yeah, Michael. So uh, Michael's family finally, after a while, able to hold a celebration of life for his mom and just the joy of remembering together, certainly, yeah. Yeah, Betty. Prayers for Betty's sister-in-law just diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Yeah, Linda. Lyndon given thanks for the pilgrimage slash retreat um, up in Tahoe. Um, and I heard at the end encouragement for if and when it happens again for others to participate, a really lovely experience. In fact, we're gonna hear a little bit more about it in the sermon today. Yeah, Nicholas. Amen. So. That's an excellent segue, Nicholas. Nicholas saying that his family's sort of moving away in segments. <laughs> we said goodbye already to your dad. Today we say goodbye to you, as this will be your last Sunday. And then also I'm aware that the Rafter family is here with us. This is your last Sunday with us as well as you moved back to Pennsylvania. So I'd, I'd like to invite the Rafter family and Nicholas to come forward as uh, Rob shares a, a blessing with all of you. reminded in the 121st Psalm that the Lord watches over our goings and our comings. And so while you're leaving us and our hearts ache with that, we also honor that you're going somewhere where there are good things waiting. For you all, some of these good things are familiar because you're going back home. Although for you two, it may not feel like back home. It's a new adventure. And for Nicholas, this is a new adventure. But we want to pray God's blessing, both thanksgiving for your time with us in praying God's guiding and strengthening hand to go with you into these familiar and unfamiliar territories. Let's pray together. Holy God, we do trust that you are with us and you watch over us wherever we go. We pause in great gratitude for these families who've chosen to share their faith journeys with this community, who've been blessings to us with their presence, with their leadership, with their service, with their learning. 
We honor the friendships they've made, the school they've endured, the work they've done, the play they've had, the landscape that has become home for them. And we ask your guiding hand, your protecting wings to watch over them as they journey across this country and set up new homes, reconnect with family and old friends, make new friends, navigate new neighborhoods, work, school, all that goes with that. We ask your abiding presence. We ask that you bless these families with fitting church homes, that their faith might be strengthened as they enter a new chapter in their lives, and that you would remind them and that you would remind us that every time we break bread together at the Lord's table, that we are one. We are one Christian body that cannot be separated by distance, cannot be separated by time or even the grave. And so we claim that fellowship in the name of Christ together. And remind these folks, remind Nicholas, remind the rafters, that they'll always, always, always have a home here. So until we meet again, O oh God, bless them with your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Bless you. you may be seated. Blessings on all of you. As you travel, and I'm reminded summer is upon us, we have lots of Westminster congregants traveling. So simply prayers for traveling mercies for all. Let's have just a couple moments of quiet and then we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. And hear us now as together we offer the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.
addition, in addition, um, any of the uh, members of our middle school mission trip, I'd like to invite you all to come also and join me here at the front. Why don't you mission trip folks maybe sit here on the step? And then you all sit there. Excellent. So this is super exciting because prior to the year 2020, um, our youth ministries took a mission trip every year to Santa Cruz, our middle school youth, to serve down there in God's name. But then something called COVID happened, and they haven't been able to do it in several years. But guess what? The mission trip is back. So first, I would love to invite Jeff to tell us just a teeny tiny bit about what y'all are going to be doing this week. It's very different from most trips people take to Santa Cruz. <laughs> So there are two groups that we're working with. One is called the Homeless Garden Project. Uh, some of the youth who are here today have been there. It's a community farm. They sell their produce, and it's run by homeless people. And so we're going to work for them. They're going to be our bosses for the week, because I don't know about you guys, but I don't know a lot about farming. Do, you either, do any of you know a lot about farming? So we're going to need a lot of help, and they're going to help us with that. Uh, and they have the best strawberries ever there, and we'll get to eat some. The other group that we're working with is the Boys and Girls Club, and that is a day camp with about 100 kids that all just need a place to go that's safe during the day, and you're gonna find out when we get there, some of them are just going to tackle you when you walk in the door. <laughs> and they're gonna be our best friends for the week, and we're gonna get to hang out and play with them. And then, you know what the best part is? We're going to challenge the whole club to a dodgeball game, <laughs> and we do that every year. So you right? You think we can take 100 kids? Yeah, easy. Easy, yeah. Easy. <laughs> can I tell you a trick that we've learned? Now, Bethany has been to play dodgeball with us. I have, yes. Can you, do you remember? How, what was that experience like for you, Bethany? Here's the trick. Hide in a corner behind someone tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the trick. At least that was my yeah. trick. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen our calm, cool, collected associate pastor more terrified in <laughs> her life, but, but you handled it with grace. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, so what we're going to do today is we're going to what is called commission these trip participants uh, because we are sending them out with our love. We are sending them out with our prayers and in part and partially also we are promising to pray for them throughout the week so really this commissioning just isn't just a children's moment it's for all of us you know offering our prayers and support as you do this work so today we gather to send you out we celebrate that we are connected to each other across different places and pray that those bonds will go grow stronger through this mission experience. We rejoice that you will meet new neighbors and work together with them to embody God's love. So a couple questions for you all. Mission team members, are you ready and willing to be open to new neighbors and new experiences as you go out to serve in Jesus' name? If so, please say, I am. Will you accept God's call to serve? And while on this trip, will you serve with energy, with creativity, with openness, grace, and love? If so, please respond, I will. I will. 
And now a question for all of you and all of you, Westminster Congregation, will we support these servants of God and will we pray for them as they represent us while serving this week? If so, please respond, we will. will. All right, let us pray. Guiding and loving God, empower these mission team members to be your hands and feet this week. By their actions and their words, make them witnesses of your great love for all. Protect them, teach them, support them as they take this next step in their own journey to becoming the servant people you call them to be. Fill them with your spirit, enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully, bring them safely home, and then let their experience further enrich us so that we too may follow your call to serving our community in the love of Christ. Amen. We will be praying for you all this week. And let us now go to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. The scripture reading this morning is Matthew, the 12th chapter, verses 43 to 45. Please listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house for to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So will it be also with this evil generation. This is holy wisdom, holy word. An uplifting note, I know. (laughs) The anthem you heard earlier will make more sense after this sermon, but I I join you in in applauding it. What they didn't tell you when they prayed for Ruthie is she was supposed to be in that. So that's pretty quick uh, regrouping there and responding. As you already heard mentioned today, a couple of weeks ago, a number of us, it was 26, signed up. We lost some for COVID in terms of registration. We didn't lose them. But, um, so took around 20 or so folks up to Tahoe for a pilgrimage uh, called, oh, let's open these doors so these folks can hear, unless they want the doors shut. They may, they may say, oh, great, now we don't have to listen to Rob Gab the whole time. Hey, you want to hear? Oh, that's okay. Made it for the end of the day. Uh, The the pilgrimage was called uh, Recreation, Connecting uh, Land, Spirit, and the Human Soul. And the purpose of it was to reorient ourselves around these things. That land, that particular land, which has been such a source of recreation and restoration for so many people who live in this land, but also the landscapes of our youth and, and the greater world, which 
gives us the ability to live and yet we also know is in struggle right now. To reorient ourselves around God, Spirit, Christ. This is Trinity Sunday, so now I've used all three names. To really reorient ourselves around our, our faith in God and the human soul. Really just the spiritual dimension of our lives, recognizing that in body and soul, we are spiritual creatures, and to really put that front and center. Somebody remarked as we were going away, it was right after the horrible shootings in Texas, and said, it's kind of a strange time to be going away on a retreat, is it? Isn't it? But actually, it was, it's the perfect time, because you don't go on retreat to run away from the world. You go on retreat to become deeply grounded in your faith and who you are and your values and what you care about, and what the world needs now is deeply grounded adults. So that is missional work to do that kind of thing well it was marvelous as you can imagine we oriented our days around those priorities so we began even before breakfast with quiet meditation in the cold morning air then we'd read from scripture we worked our way through the 104th psalm during the week we would sing a song then we'd have a meal together the food was they had food <laughs> then we would uh, em embark on the trail, or some actually some cycled, some stayed on the property, but many of us went out and walked on various trails. We would begin with some kind of intention. We would often walk in silence, kind of noticing the sacredness of the world around us. We would stop along the way for conversations and, and reflection times. We would end the day similarly, having broken bread together. We would Again, do some evening prayer and reflection and have some fun together and fellowship. And in that setting, that gorgeous setting, with these people, as you can imagine, sometimes it felt downright magical. In fact, there were moments it felt like we were being lifted by angels unaware. You just, just felt kind of alive in that space. It was a deeply healing and energizing time. The last time I led a pilgrimage of that length, I mistakenly previewed the landscape to those who were coming as flat. Uh, it, w it was largely not true, but maybe I had angels influencing my memory and just, I thought it had been flat. Well, in Tahoe, there's no mistaking that, right? So I knew better than to say it, and you could see it. There were hills everywhere. The thing about hills is you can't stand at the bottom and assume automatically you'll just end up at the top without taking a step. Now this sounds incredibly obvious, because it is incredibly obvious. In hiking, where I think sometimes it's not so obvious is in life. Because sometimes I think we just assume progress will be made on any given issue or in any given moment, that it'll just automatically happen without any effort, without even taking a step, much less a step, and then another step, and then another step, and another step. And in fact, in life, unlike in hiking, when you ta stop taking steps, I mean, this is not a plea for frenetic energy, but when you stop working towards something, not only will you stop moving, sometimes we take steps backwards. It's like Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the mountain. Right? You push it up, and then it just pushes you back. And sometimes it pushes you back even farther than when you began. Believe it or not, this is kind of what's going on in this story 
that Matthew tells about Jesus. He, he describes, and in this passage, you get, you get a, a peek into a couple of important things for today. One, how the ancient world viewed the spiritual realm. And two, what's going on when sometimes not only we stop making progress, but things go backwards. They backslide. They come undone. There's backlash. To tackle the first, first, in Jesus' time, people, at least in his culture, understood to be the, to, the world to be filled with spirits. The world was swimming with spirits. The Greek is daimon, from which we get demon, but they're not always bad. We think of demons as bad, but they're just spirits. And some are bad or evil or destructive or dysfunctional or not helpful or chaotic. And some are good. They're clean. They're helpful. They're life-giving. They're life-affirming. They're encouraging and so on and so forth. And those are kind of just all working around. Well, what Jesus says is when an unclean spirit, an unhelpful, an evil, a destructive spirit, leaves someone, because healing was often about exercising people of those spirits, it's very much like shaman's work today. Exercise that spirit, reorient one's relationship with the world. Sometimes it'll come back. It goes looking in uh, what it says, the waterless regions. I love this, which means that we are the waterful regions. Mostly water. We're like habitats. We're ecosystems moving through the world that play host to any number of spirits of any number of character at any given time. And those unhelpful, evil, and clean spirit, when it leaves you, it's going to look around for home. And when it doesn't find one, it may come knocking again. But this time when it comes back, it may bring friends. I've been listening to a podcast called The Mayor of Maple Avenue. It's about a young man who was one of the many victims of former assistant football coach at Penn State, Jerry Sandusky. And if you followed that case, you know the nature of that abuse, which I won't go into here. We have people of mixed age in the room. But you can imagine what kind of abuse that would be. And for him, uh, like many of these victims, that, uh, that abuse was the beginning of a long chain of tragedy and undoing. And not the least of this particular gentleman's trouble uh, was substance abuse. And if you know anything about the demons of substance abuse, either personally or relationally, and I would guess everybody in here does, you know how vicious those spirits can be and how persistent and how they can come back even when you think you're rid of them. You have to be constantly vigilant. Well, this was the case for him. Every time he seemed to enter a period of recovery, there was a relapse that followed, and often the relapse set him back even farther than he was before. And the systems that were there to try to prevent the demons from coming back in had lots of gaps in them. And so they would find their way back in, and often with reinforcements. Jesus says this is how it works, actually, in the world in this particular story, he says the person is rid of their unclean spirit, and the spirit goes around to the waterless regions and then comes back in with seven friends. You perhaps can relate to this. 
this notion that progress is made and then there's a backlash. And it pushes back even harder than before. I mean, this is a phenomenon I would guess that you've experienced at some point in your life. Even though we act as if, oh, no, we don't have to be vigilant. We don't have to work. We don't have to take action because progress is automatic. But it's not automatic. How many of you know the name Adam Grant? It's a name some people are familiar with. Uh, I thought he would have something to say on this matter, and it turns out he does. Grant's become quite popular. He's an organizational psychologist. He's a great social media follow, by the way. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's seven, time, seven years running top-rated professor at Wharton. So this is a smart guy. And he writes a lot about what makes for healthy, happy work environments, which you could really apply to any situation where people have to come together. And I thought he might have something to say about how he wouldn't use the term evil, but maybe dysfunction or toxicity multiplies in a group setting such as a workplace, kind of the modern equivalent of what Jesus is talking about. And it turns out he did, but I didn't find a speech by Grant or a TED Talk, though he's done many of those. What I found was a conversation he had with two other gentlemen. The first was a guy named Jeffrey Noonberg. He's a linguist, of all things, who's worked in the corporate world as well as at Stanford and at Berkeley. And another man named Bob Sutton, who's an organizational psychologist at Stanford. And they indeed had a really interesting conversation about how you know, a technical term might be dysfunction, kind of manifests and, and grows, festers, in an organizational environment. But they don't use the technical term dysfunction, nor do they use the scriptural term evil or unclean. They talk about those people in the office who cause trouble, and they call them, uh, well, I'm going to abbreviate what they call them. Uh, they call them a-holes. <laughs> Forgive me. But they got it published in Harvard Business Review, so if they can say, you know, I will uh, substitute the slightly milder term jerk uh, for the purposes of this sermon, but now you know what I'm referring to when I say jerk. Uh, but to them, that is the term to use because it really captures these people, and we all know these people. Some of us may have been these people at times, or are these people right now. This is how they describe a jerk. A jerk causes a lot of trouble. It's somebody whose efforts to expand and swell their own sense of privilege or power or authority hurts others. The other employees, particularly the ones they take credit for their work, right? Steal the credit. Or maybe they uh, have folks doing things for them unrelated to their work beneath them. They demean. They bully. They create an environment where everybody else around them is on edge or afraid or nervous or anxious. I can, I can guess many of us have felt this at work, in our family system, uh, out in the world somewhere. And not only is it unpleasant, we sort of know that, that's obvious, but it also hinders our ability to flourish, to be productive, to thrive, to do well, even if we're just going to think about it you know, in a cold terms, to work well. And there's studies to back this up. So Grant cites a study out of Israel in which um, uh, they took medical teams and they had the physicians and the nurses 
be subjected to two various quote-unquote experts. And the first expert just observed and perhaps encouraged or had a polite word here or there for the teams. And the other expert berated the physicians and the nurses actively for their performance. And this was the outcome. Those who were berated successfully diagnosed patients at a 20% lower rate. They lost their ability to diagnose because they were rattled from the way they were treated by others. And they conducted procedures that were 15% less effective. Same training, same skill set, same access, but they performed measurably worse because of the way they were treated by somebody who is an, a jerk. That's pretty staggering. When considering how many of us have been subjected to that kind of leadership. Where I grew up, this name may not mean much to some of you, but it was Bobby Knight Country, famous coach of Indiana basketball. And we were, all coaches modeled themselves, most of them, after him. So you understood as a 12-year-old that good coaching meant getting screamed at, called worse names than I alluded to earlier in this sermon, regularly. This was just what it meant to play sports as a child. People model themselves. That's leadership. That's strength, right? Not according to data. And another experiment. They had students uh, show up to a study where they were going to do some word games, but they sent them to the wrong room intentionally. And with one group of students, the it was a professor's office they were sent to. The professor would say, oh, and kindly remind, say that this is actually the wrong room, the right room is this way, and gave them directions, sent them on their way pleasantly. To the other students, the professor greeted them and insulted them. Excuse me? Can't you read? There's a sign of the door that tells you, but you didn't even look, bother to look at the door, did you? And on and on. And then the professor would slam the door in their face. The students then went in to, uh, to work on anagrams, rearranging mixed up letters to make words. The students who were treated rudely solved a quarter fewer anagrams successfully. They lost their ability to function with the human language because of how they were treated. Then the study sent the students out and they had actors pretend to drop their books in front of them. The students who'd been treated poorly were nine times less likely to help the person pick up their books. This kind of treatment drains the compassion out of people because they're so wounded and caught up in their own stuff. They're unable to be as compassionate as they would have been. The spirits come back and they bring friends. They bring reinforcements. Sutton, that psychologist out of Stanford, says, bullying turns other people into jerks. So it's a contagious disease that spreads. Now, disease is an interesting word. Herman Weichen, the New Testament professor over at San Francisco Theological Seminary, retired a few years ago, was in a lecture of his one time, and he said, if you want to understand how the Apostle Paul thought of sin, don't think of all the lists of things you would say or do that are bad or think. Sin for Paul was like a disease, an epidemic, a virus. 
He said a, a good modern, if you want to sort of have an analog, read Camus' book, The Plague. That's what sin is like. It's this force loose in the world, looking for hosts. It inhabits and guides behavior in a way that's destructive, hurtful, toxic, and multiplies. The antidote for Paul to sin is Christ, who likewise is not just a person, but kind of a force loose in the world, working in cosmic struggle against this. Now think of the implications of a worldview such as that. Right? The first is uh, that, that, that sin or evil or harmfulness or chaos or destruction has a, is like a force and a power all on its own. It's, it's out there in the world, and it's almost like it has a strategy and a will. This is why traditions, including our own, uh, have a history of personifying evil into figures like the devil or Satan, which is why it's such a perfect anthem for today, because it, it sort of describes how the world seems to work. It's as if someone's out there working against goodness and, and healing and all of those things. But secondly, because it's a force loose in the world with a will potentially and maybe even a strategy of its own, it's not so accurate and even more importantly, not so helpful to then go through the world dividing people up into the good ones and the bad ones. Now, there are a few, that, few people who kind of nominate themselves for either of those categories. They seem like obvious fits. But really, most of us are swimming in this morass filled with all kinds of spirits of all kinds, and we're host to any number of them at any given time. And so rather than just trying to figure out once and for all who are the bad ones and the good ones, the ones we can get rid of and the ones that we can put in charge, we actually recognize that all of us have the capacity to host all kinds of spirits. As commentator Douglas Hare puts it, instead of externalizing the dualism of good and evil, faith and unfaith, dividing humanity into disciples and Pharisees, we must emphasize that the dualism is internal. You could say it's swimming around in all of us. Inside each Christian is a disciple and a Pharisee. Pharisee here is being used pejoratively. It shouldn't always be. In the resistance to Jesus' ministry that brought him to the cross is a resistance that each of us knows within. Jesus' complaint in this story is that his generation is evil. It's not getting the picture. He's got a vision for what God's kingdom would look like, its values, its priorities, its way of ordering relationships. And the people just aren't seeing it. And so instead, they're giving host to spirits that want to make them have different kinds of relationships and different kinds of values and different kinds of priorities. So we all have the task of cultivating our inner ecosystem to give host to good spirits and to be reinforcements for one another and as a community to try to pray host to the best of the spirits that are loosed in the world. Now, the Christ piece is a little bit a little bit mystical and a little bit hard to explain how it's an antidote on a cosmic level. But at least down here on earth, a piece of it is learning to invite the Christ, that force, that presence, into our individual and collective lives and foster our ability, as we tried to do on this pilgrimage, to see 
God in all that's around us and in one another and in ourselves and to cultivate that and recognize it and distinguish it from those other things that seem to be working for a less helpful goal so that we can become reinforcements for one another as well as healthy ecosystems for ourselves and the wider community. Now, you may remember at the opening, I talked about it felt as if we were being lifted up by angels unaware at times. And it turns out that was true. It's part of an effort to be a little bit more outward facing. We're trying to post more of what we do on social media platforms so that others gazing on might kind of see what we're about here because we think what we're about here is a good thing. So I was posting pictures daily of, of people hiking. I didn't post any pictures of the food, trying to market here. And um, they served this what bean thing and a potato. Did anybody else eat? That was weird. What was that? Um, and, and one day I posted a few pictures, and some of you saw because some of you were commenting. And then someone else commented on one of my pictures, and it was a summer camp counselor of mine from 30 years ago. Now, if you know anything about Bethany's faith journey and my faith journey, they both were significantly impacted by <coughs> Christian summer camps, really formative. So for this guy to comment on my line, he's a little bit like Steph Curry saying, I saw you shooting jumpers at the school. You look good, man. You look... And uh, so this was this is Irv, okay? That name doesn't mean anything to you. It means a lot to me. Uh, and uh, And this is what he said. He said, no, it's fine. Kids make noise. It's good. I mean, thank God. You know how many churches would die to have a child make noise in their service? This is, this is fantastic. Uh, this is what Irv wrote on my timeline. Lord Jesus Christ, you call Rob and his group to follow you. And they are choosing to walk with you. Open their eyes and heart to see their life in a new way. With each step they take, step by step, remember, help them to be open to change. As they walk this pilgrimage, give them the grace to become closer to you each day. I ask this in your most holy name. Amen. There's an old notion that the world is actually held up. It's kept spinning by people who are praying. People will never meet. You've probably never seen, except some of you may be them, on second thought. Praying for you, praying for all of this, and that prayer is a force that enters that morass, and it keeps us going. So as we endeavor to cultivate a healthy environment, to host good and helpful spirits, as we work to be reinforcements of goodness for one another, might we be encouraged and given just the strength we need to take the next step and the next step and the next step, knowing that we are being buoyed by the prayers of others. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. Building off of Susan's prayer, I really should have shared in joys and concerns how joyful I am at the dedication and wisdom of your elders who met all day yesterday uh, doing some strategic planning work, ongoing work to solidify the church's mission, vision, purpose, uh, priorities, and tactics at achieving those priorities and goals. They've been hard at work and will continue to be so, and it was such a joy to see their commitment yesterday. I won't highlight everything in the bulletin or in that e-newsletter that you're getting in your email. If you're not getting that and would like to, please let the office know, but I will highlight a couple of things. Congregations in the area have been gifted with all kinds of COVID tests. As you know, the spread is quite rapid right now in, in this area. So we literally have hundreds of COVID tests in the narthex. All of those boxes are filled with COVID tests. So if you need one or two or 10, take them, take a handful. If you know people who need them, take them on their behalf and give them to them. Um, I know for many, this feels like, well, I had it, it wasn't too bad, and thank God if that's the case. But it hasn't been so for everyone. The, the pastor in Palo Alto had to resign because he's got long-haul COVID and he, can't, he just can't do it. It's 50, you know, so this is, we have to weigh what this is. So whatever you can do, please do. There's also a bunch of sanitizers out there. I noticed the alcohol level is something like 62%. I don't know if that's high enough. And that's supposed to be 70, but I'm not, this is not my field. So just be, don't assume because we're passing it out that it's, you know, check it, please. Um, two, two other things. Um, on the solstice, we'll be having an outdoor experiential kind of Christian gathering at Mere Beach. We're, we'll gather uh, six o'clock. If you want to bring a picnic dinner, go for it. If you want to eat before, that's fine. Um, we will build a labyrinth together right there on the beach. I'll show you how to do that. So that's kind of a fun interactive activity for the young and less young. Um, we'll walk that. Then we'll have a nice bonfire together, and there will be s'mores. So you could even skip dinner and have your dessert for dinner. There is an RSVP link on the website in the e-news. That's just so we have a rough sense of how many people are coming. But if the, if the moment strikes you at 5.15 on Friday, or I mean on, on the solstice, and you want to head out there, just come on out. You don't have to RSVP. But we'd like to have a rough sense of who's coming. Secondly, um, as part of our sense of mission to live out God's love and God's healing and God's help in the world. The Outreach Commission is um, trying to plan a trip to Kentucky to do some rebuilding from the tornadoes that happened uh, some time ago, but they're still recovering from that. In order to make that work, we need to make sure there's enough people uh, to make that trip a go. So Carol Kaufman, who's a member of that committee, former chair of that committee, and is leading the effort on organizing that trip, is here and we'd like to invite her forward to say a couple of things about that trip to uh, perhaps invite your participation. So, Carol, come on down. What a hard sermon to follow, right? He does such a great job. Um, 
So I uh, hate to bring us down, but I will for a second and hopefully bring us back up. Um, if some of you can take you back in time last December the 10th, um, when most of us were putting out Christmas lights or getting out our decorations, getting ready for the season, there was a string of tornadoes that went through a number of states, but particularly hit Kentucky, um, and Western Kentucky in particular, very, very uh, hard. Um, it was a long track tornado. It moved across several counties of the state, including towns of Mayfield, Princeton, Dawson Springs, and Bremen. It traveled 165 miles and wrapped in rain. It was the deadliest and longest track tornado in an outbreak that produced strong, strong tornadoes in several states and 57 fatalities. Um, many of us remember this day and kind of forget about it and all the things that are going on around the world that we face today. But for me, it still hits close to home. That Madisonville was my hometown. It sits right in the middle of those towns that I just mentioned, and I have a very close high school friend that lives in Dawson Springs. And so I spent 24 hours trying to reach her, and finally did, and she was unharmed, as was her family. She did lose a dear friend that she had worked in the school system with, and there were 15 deaths in the town of Dawson Springs alone. In the town of Bremen, which is another 20 miles in another direction, there were 11 deaths. There were over 1,000 homes damaged and over 584 completely demolished. People literally came up out of their basements and there was nothing left. So um, this has been on my heart since then and something that I wanted to try to see if we could help. Um, I, wanted, I want to talk about it in two forms. One is about the joy we can find amongst ourselves for going and helping others in need. And that's clearly something that we can do here locally. And I did, along with Bethany and a group up in Lake County a couple of years ago. The other joy is the joy we get from talking to people who are not living in a bubble like we live here in Marin. The average median income in Dawson Springs is $27,865. Um, these are folks who are uninsured or underinsured. Um, their little town of 2,700 and like 2,765 um, are still struggling and will be struggling for years to come. Um, the church where I grew up in Madisonville has been hosting church groups from January till now, and the first week that was available was September 18th of this year, and we uh, are planning a trip for that week. Um, the uh, churches have been from Hammond. Indiana to Indianapolis to Louisiana have come to Kentucky to help. The Amish have been there week after week building storage sheds for people who literally had nothing left but the foundation, but they were receiving gifts of new equipment and things and they didn't have a place to store it. So the Amish have been building storage units all over. Um, so I would like to um, invite you to come join. I want you to know there's great barbecue in Kentucky. There's really good people there with good hearts. Um, and they don't think like us. So one of the things you can do is give yourself an opportunity to come meet people who maybe live and think a little bit differently than we do here. And what a joy that would be to learn how other people are viewing the world that we sometimes take for granted here in our our county. Um, I um, 
I want to just say that there are three people who've committed. One of them, two of them are our newest members, Forrest Craig and Deborah Newton, who joined the church last Sunday, have already committed to go, and Christine Werner is going. We would love to get 10 to 15 people to go, so um, more would be welcome, but my goal is 10 or hopefully 15. And uh, we're going to be having a planning meeting this coming week with a time to yet be determined. But Christine and Deborah um, have agreed to be on the planning committee as well. So um, please give it some prayerful thought. And I was just thinking about this as I was sitting in church today. And the song that I heard on another church service before I came here today is, We will walk hand in hand. We will work side by side. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Carol. I couldn't have said any of that any better. I don't think you brought us down at all. I think what you gave us is a chance to lift up sisters and brothers in need, and that's always a joy, even when it's in the face of hardship. So thank you for that. Please prayerfully consider whether you're being called to be a part of that. Our closing hymn is number 733.
Friends, now as you go from here, whether you are going from here for the first time or going from here for the last time, for a while, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and every day. Amen. Amen.